0: This is Bad you. Yo, back. Let me put the Cheez Its away.
1: Put them Cheez Its away. How's your throat? Obviously, if you're eating Cheez Its, you're feeling better.
0: Uh, I am feeling better, but it's still pretty vicious at the moment. Um, this is like the worst version of strep though I've ever conceived of being possible.
1: No more blowjobs for
0: transformers. <laughs> I have no idea what to even make of that sentence. I think it's just
1: a wise, wise bit of advice to start off the show.
0: Well, there goes my political career.
1: <laughs> there it goes. Uh, speaking of which, we're gonna talk about that later. I don't want to start there. I want to warm them up first because I think we need to talk about that for sure. I'm trying to get this tea cool enough that I could drink this right now. (laughs) Ironically, (laughs) you're the one with the sore throat and I'm drinking throat coat tea.
0: That stuff's pretty awesome. I've been drinking that stuff for like two weeks.
1: It's fucking delicious. It's the the licorice, I think, is what makes it.
0: You know, I will say though that it's an acquired taste. I didn't like it when I first tried it and uh, I've grown to like it much, much more. And now I, I have to have it like once a week or something feels wrong.
1: Yeah, with the steve, put a little a little bit of stevia in there, sweetens it up just enough, and it's like candy. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely,
1: like Papa's cough medicine. (laughs) So now we're we are a three man show.
0: Yeah, I I suspected that Tom would be a good fit, um, and I wasn't disappointed. I heard most of the episode; it was pretty awesome.
1: It's interesting how. Uh, just how the pacing is different, like in a good way. It's just like, for me, it's an interesting challenge because for you and I, I don't have to... I really don't even think about the pacing. It just happens. We've been doing it so long. It just happens naturally. But yep. with Tom, I have to learn a new skill because it's a different person. And it's not like um, like when I do an interview because... I mean, I feel like actually that first episode with Tom was more stylistically... Like when I do interviews, because we're still tr- feeling each other's energy out, you know. Like, sure. well, does he pause here? Is is he pausing? Oh no, he's not pausing. Can I interrupt here? Yeah, I'm gonna interrupt here.
0: <laughs> I will say though, it didn't feel that way, um, listening to it from from my perspective, and maybe it's because I've heard you do every possible kind of format, so it didn't feel that foreign, you know.
1: Yeah, I think I feel like I was I was he was I know he was a little bit nervous, um, so I I was a little more. Um, feisty Then maybe I I always am. Sometimes I'm very serious. I noticed that in like listening when I went through and listened to all the episodes. I'm like, ooh, sometimes I am the gray cloud.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think that we kind of feed off each other's energy. And I feel like the last couple of months have been really serious just because of what's been going on in my life. But you know, I go back through some of our older episodes too, and we're definitely there are moments where we bounce back and forth with a different kind of energy. And I think lately the energy has just kind of been somber. um, And a lot of that, I think, is um, whether you choose to or not, I kind of pick some of the directions that we go, (laughs) and sometimes those are not exactly the brightest moments.
1: Well, I think that's what's going to be interesting about doing the show twice a week—once with you and then once with Tom—is. Now, like say you and I go dark for like five weeks or whatever. Tom and I are probably going to be in a completely different direction. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll go dark too. But just having that contrast and that uh, the ebb and flow of those two things, I think it's going to be. I mean, it's it's going to be fun for me. But I think for the audience, it's going to be very interesting because, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody else has done something something like this before. It's an experiment in the sense that you know, like it's the same show. It's not two podcasts, it's one. Most people would just split off and do another podcast. But I just I don't see the point in that.
0: Well, not only that, but I feel like as we move forward, you're going to add even more people into the fray. Um, and I, I feel like there's, there's a natural evolution that comes along with it. Like Maybe it becomes like an ensemble show, you know what I mean? Um, and we're more like Seinfeld in the sense that you're Jerry Seinfeld and the rest of us are all various cast members that live in apartments around you and we occasionally come and visit. Sometimes the episodes are about a particular person and their problems. And sometimes, you know, we all get together and we, we, we discuss the world as, as a whole. Like, it's, it's going to be really interesting when... Because I, I have a feeling you're not done yet um, adding people to the show. And when we add yet another person, it'll be fun to occasionally have the whole crew talking about something. Um, I, there's, there's, there's definitely a possibility for a very different energy there.
1: Yeah. That's one of the things I really, I'm not going to go into this very, very long at the beginning. We'll talk about it later, but on the Patreon, which by the way, if you are the people who don't make it to the end of the episode, Holy Fool Productions, patreon.com forward slash Holy Fool Productions, support us on Patreon. But anyways, one of the things that would be really interesting to do on there would be to get, you know, at least you, me and Tom together. And do like you know, like some kind of. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't do live streaming because it's just too fucking complex when it comes to <laughs> sure. when it comes to the technologies. Like, oh, is the Wi-Fi strong enough? Is the camera in the right place? Is speaker? I would just record it and then <laughs> a video, just and then post it. But it'd be interesting to to see the dynamic of a group or bring in somebody that's been a guest or someone no one's ever seen before, and then put those up for the patrons. I think that'd
0: be really fun. Do you think you're going to go safe first and find someone that we all know or do you think you're going to just go off the wall and you know I don't know
1: I haven't thought that far ahead yet I, like right now I mean I have like for example for everybody listening um the guests me having guests on that's not going away um I'm still having guests on as a matter of fact I have a backlog of like four people that have approached me that I want to have on the show but have come to me and said I want to be on the show and I had to put them off because I wanted to make sure that I got everything with Tom launched smoothly and you know like given another week so that we can feel our way through make sure we're into something cuz i've i've had the tendency in the past before to take on more maybe not more than i can handle but maybe more than i should be handling <laughs> sure <laughs> and then and then just get overwhelmed um so i'm trying to take this smoothly and then i'm just going to have on i have all these one is one somebody that i've been wanting to have on a show for a long time and they've just been busy and then uh, A couple other people, it'll be fun. But then being able to get that into a steady thing, where at least once a month I have a guest on. I don't know if it's going to be every week because the whole scheduling thing—it's just it's a pain in the ass. It really is, even with people you know. Um, But it's it's fun. I'm 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 very optimistic about um, the way everything feels right now. It's, It's a lot of fun for me right now, and I I think I've said this before. As long as we're having fun, I think it's good for
0: everybody else too. Yeah, and it's it's funny that it took us that long to figure that out. Like, hey, we should actually enjoy this.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know who the first person who brought that up to me was uh, our friend Carlos, um, not Agrio but Letelier, who's been a who's been a guest actually um, when I was doing the show as Creative Minds. And one of the things he said was it's something along the lines of you know like he asked me if, if I was aware of you know how i was feeling when i was doing things you know and i was i never thought about that before you know like am i am i paying attention like right now am i paying attention to the fact that i'm sitting here and having this conversation or am i acting in like a, a robotic sense you know we do that sometimes um we we get in these robotic modes and then we think we're present but we're not we've talked about presence a lot so i don't need to go down that road
0: well that's a fun that's a fun synergistic thing though i was planning on talking about that in this episode Mm,
1: well, roll into it. Let's go there now, because I don't need to talk about this stuff much longer.
0: Um, man this this takes this takes a quick dive. Um, quick dive.
1: We'll come back. We'll bounce around. How's that?
0: Okay. Um. Well, I I, I wrote a quick blog post recently about um, regret not necessarily being that bad a thing, and mm. I think that this this ties pretty closely into it. At least from where I was feeling it. Um. And that I don't think that regret in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing. It's like the word manipulation. The word manipulation has a negative connotation, Right. Um, but I think the word the word for what it means is not necessarily inherently negative. And I feel like regret's kind of the same thing. You know, it's just the idea that you wish you could have done something differently. And I think that. You know, throughout the course of of any kind of relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a business relationship, you get into these moments where you fall into a routine, whether it's good or bad, and because most people, whether they like to admit it or not, um, find comfort in routine, even if that routine is damaging to the people involved, you still continue to do it because it's better to have it than to not have it. Um, and that's been really interesting me as an idea lately.
1: Yeah, because we're terrified of, of dangling out there without something to hold on to,
0: right? Absolutely. Yeah, the tethers that hold us to our lives. I just busted out the big, the big, the big
1: book to see what the let's see what the roots on regret are. Hmm? We haven't done that in a while. Whoa, interesting. Uh, late Middle English from the Old French regretter, which means to bewail the dead.
0: Oh, jeez. Oh, that takes it a dark turn, doesn't it? Jeez, man. Even when we don't intend to, we go dark.
1: One of one of the few words probably in the English language that has uh, <laughs> slowly been neutered of, of in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to use the regret colloquially as we use it now is... I, I'm a fan of the way we use it now. I don't know that I would always want it to mean uh, be, bemoaning the dead or bewailing the dead.
0: It's such a funny thing though, you know, like one of the things that I, I, I try to pride myself in, and, you know, obviously it's a lifelong journey and I'm always working on it, but I try as best I can to maintain some kind of emotional objectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand, you know, the, the pain I cause and the pain that people cause me and how much of that is the other person versus me. And it's really interesting to see how much of those things become routine, um, even if they're inherently negative, it's really bizarre actually and And the realization of of those things as a person for lack of a better way of saying it, sometimes it's such a subtle difference
1: what let's 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 take this from the abstract and get into something more tangible for maybe people who aren't grasping it well give me give me a tangible you don't have to use a real example of your of yourself, but make one up if you want
0: yeah, yeah screw it I'll use a real example um so in my previous relationship um I used to minimize the value of people um, in my life because I didn't want the person I was with to feel like they had less value. And over time, that became very much a routine for me is that I devalued a lot of the things and a lot of the people in my life to make that person feel comfortable. And that's by no fault of theirs. That is 100% me and and the choice that I made as a person. But it's really weird to be aware of that after the fact.
1: Yeah, that I, mean, I definitely know that that is a very common thing to do. We... And it's not always a bad, Um, it's the extent, right? You know, you don't, some people are do it wrong where they they put their friends and everything above their significant other. And then that person feels neglected. Sure. But then then there's the other way too, where you're like, okay, um, I ditched all my friends. (laughs) Sure. It's just just you and me against the world. And people love that one. And that's a really dangerous one. Because I I don't know, um, I don't remember the statistics, but... It's been proven that people who don't have friends outside of their immediate romantic relationship, I guess, would be a way to say it, have very negative effects. Their relationships don't do as well. Sure. And I think yeah, I'm, there's another part to it. I think part of it also is that they have to have separate friends too. That they can't share the same friends a hundred percent. You know, obviously sure. they're going to share some. You know, like for example, um, say you are dating. Um, we'll call her Jane. Um imaginary woman, uh, you and Jane have you know four or five friends in common, but if you guys don't have just lamb lamb doesn't have just friends and Jane doesn't have just friends, you're gonna eventually tear each other apart
0: <laughs> and i And I will say that we went the opposite direction in our relationship in that we had no friends in common, and that was a huge problem in end of Except itself for me. Well, yeah, but even so, like my, it has to be the same, and that's what I'm starting to figure out now is that it has to be the same level of presence.
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, because there's a like, oh, you know, like you start dating somebody, you meet their friends, you're friendly with them, but they're not really your friends. Yeah, exactly. In in the in the sense that you haven't bonded, not not to belittle them, to use your word, but you haven't bonded with them the same way that that person has.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: Like that's her bestie, and you're. She's not going to be your bestie, which is probably a good thing. But um, that usually is dangerous too. Anyways, relationships, friendships, all that stuff, really gross. And, um, <laughs> it's gross in the, in the frightening complexity of all of it and how it affects everything. And if we think about it too much, I think we nuke ourselves.
0: Well, I guess the easier way for me to say it is this. Um, don't be afraid to look back. Um, don't be afraid to regret things as long as you don't beat yourself up over them Then you're you're going to be just fine It's not it's not at all A bad thing to look back on the things that you've done and learn from them Even if they're that emotionally close to you And I think that the exercise of doing that actually makes you a lot more emotionally strong And allows you to to be much more objective about who you are and what you've done
1: That ties into something that I didn't really plan on talking about but I, I probably should have um in the sense that, uh, so I, you know me, I've for years had this back pain that comes and goes, comes and goes. I don't remember what podcast I was listening to. It was years and years ago, it was something that I respected, like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. They had on somebody that you know, seemed legit to me, and they had mentioned this book called Healing Back Pain by this uh, doctor named John Sarno. And I bought it, never read it. You know, it's one of those many things you just, you know, buying an app or whatever, and it's just kind of sitting there. And uh, as my back was starting to hurt a little bit recently. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna good use of my time. Saturday afternoon, I'm just gonna. It's a short book. I'm just gonna read this book. I'm or I, I'm gonna listen to it. It's Just curious, you know. I don't know what the hell this thing is about. Let's just see what it, everybody. Uh, you know, everything that I'd heard about it was it's great or whatever. So I read it and boil it down very basically basically what this guy says, he says, most of the things that we refer to as back pain are not injuries. He says, uh, it doesn't make sense for an injury in a back to last as long as it does. He says that doesn't make sense in biology. He says, it, that's not what's going on. And he says, what he believes is going on is, so we have repressed emotions. And this is not a woo-woo guy. This is like a, he's a, a legitimate, a legitimate MD. Um, We repress emotions, and when we do that, we create tension. We create tension in our muscles, and what he believes happens is when there's enough tension in your muscle for a long enough period of time, that it starts to deprive the nerves of oxygen, and then that causes the pain. And that's why he there's a lot there's kind of a lot more to this than um, than even he goes in the book because things have happened since he wrote the book. I think it was written in the '90s. but they've, you know, since the 90s, they do less and less back surgeries because what they found out was they were doing back surgeries and then people would feel better and then they would go back to where they were before. So the back surgeries weren't actually doing anything. And mm. that kind of fits into what he's been saying here. He says, it's the problem isn't the actual mechanisms of the back, it's the repressed emotions. And he says, the number one most repressed emotion people have is anger. Oh, sure. And so I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about it. So I, i'm i'm willing to listen to people or their thoughts when i'm reading or listening to a book so i said am i repressing any emotions am i repressing any anger and the more i I, and it's not just while i'm listening to this you know a couple days go by i'm still thinking about it and i keep finding i'm like oh i'm angry about that oh i'm angry about that there's latte shaking his collar um (laughs) <laughs> what I what I found out is I'm angry about a lot of things, and am I suppressing it? Totally, completely, completely denying it. Um, so, how this relates to what you were talking about? What I've been trying to learn is how do you feel your anger without becoming a victim of it or becoming controlled by it? You know, for example, how do you learn to feel anger without f- flying into a rage? How do you learn to be upset with someone without yelling at them? How Mm. do you learn to be upset with someone and not get in a physical altercation? Um, All these things, you know, like to feel something and to act on it are two different things. But I think with anger, most of us have trouble differentiating the two without using repression. So instead of of feeling the anger, we repress it. So we hide the anger.
0: This is a big part of what my journey has been over the last two months actually, um, is accepting what that anger means to me and how it's manifested itself. And one of the the biggest things that I've learned through having to deal with the stuff that I've dealt with is that there's always two components to every emotion. Um, and that, that, you know, that it sounds obvious when you say it out loud, but most people don't understand that they have a part to play in every in every situation in which they feel slighted or angered in some way, they have a part in it, you know? Um, and I feel like the reason why, at least lately, I've been able to deal with it much better is because I've really started to understand the role that i played in all of the emotional difficulties that I've experienced over the last however long. You know, there's, there's definitely a part of me that initiated or continued that anger for both of us. Um, and the resentment that builds from that. So I think the the tough part is taking anger in the moment um, and, and, and really not encapsulating the entire package that created that anger in the first place. And sometimes that package is far-reaching. You know, Sometimes the events that lead to a certain anger or resentment are years in the making. Sometimes mm-hmm. within the scope of a relationship, for example, those angers and, and pains and sadnesses and all those other things have their origins in a relationship past or a childhood that you have no part in.
1: (laughs) Well, the thing about anger too is anger is very insidious. Um, We tend to think it is very obvious, but there are many, many manifestations of anger other than the one that we commonly assume is anger. There are these, you know, like resentment is a form of anger, um, but anger can lead to to resentment. You know, there's a weird... uh, there's a Absolutely. weird synergy between those two things, but then there's other things. There's, there's these small little things, you know, like um, when, when, people, when, when creators, like uh, I hate using that word, um, when artists, when writers, we we'll use writers, when writers talk shit about a friend who wrote a book, you know, like it's, it's good, but it's not that good. Guess what? That's anger. Uh-huh. It's, not, it's not jealousy. I mean, it's manifesting as jealousy, but that's not the root. The anger is that they did that and I'm angry. What they're actually angry at is themselves. And I didn't write a book. Sure. You know, when you write a book and then the other person writes a book, the chances of you talking shit about their book, unless you're an asshole, are a lot more slim than they are for the person who hasn't written the book and their friend has. Sure. And the, so that's been an interesting journey for me for the past few days. It's just trying to look at all the different faces that m- anger can wear. Because it's not all just like you know hulked out, there's so much more of it that's insidious, and you know it's 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 sneaky, and it hides and it, it manipulates other emotions it, anger will employ other emotions to hide itself, and that's very interesting
0: yeah it's it's almost and and that's I'm glad that you put it that way because anger I think is much broader than people who, what what people assume is anger is the flash reaction that you have post anger. The anger yeah, existed long before that. Yeah, exactly. But the anger itself actually existed long before that. And and I think that one of the the, the keys to really understanding and dealing with anger properly is to take a step back and to, to understand the, the construction of the manifestation. You know, like you said, the, the manipulation of the other emotions that play into it. You know, jealousy, uh, resentment, all of these other things are all just symptoms of a much bigger problem. And until you're aware of how and why that anger exists in you. It's really, really hard to get your hands around it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 hard to. It, they're not all so so simple as we want them to be. You know, like um, as as anger uses other emotions to hide itself. Um, is kind of it's, it's it's kind of what this guy is saying. What he's saying is the reason that your body will hurt is because it's using your body as a distraction. So it's saying, boom, here's a physical pain because now you'll have the physical pain. You won't have to think about that emotion. So it's another way for you to repress it more. And and it's weird having to look at those long, um, I don't know, I, I'll call them candle angers. And you know, they're slow burners. You know, like, uh, for example, you know what I'm angry about, Lam? I'm angry about the fact that I'm 41 years old and I lost a good percentage of my hair. I'm angry about that. I really am. I'm angry about that. I'm angry about it because I used to have a good head of hair and now I have to have the same haircut all the time and it makes me feel old and it makes me feel unattractive. And that pisses me off. Have I ever admitted that before? No. And that's that's an insidious one because it's not like something like like you were saying. It's not like something I'm walking around like raging about. It's just this thing that's simmering underneath and that, and that little things can spark. You know, like just... A little thing, you know, what putting on my hat. Which, which hat am I going to wear today? And you, that, that burns against that that anger. Sure. Just a little bit every day. So that maybe every time I put on my hat, I'm in a worse mood than I was before I started. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird one to have to unravel that shit. Because that's like real, that's like, okay, therapy type shit. You know, like, let's work this out. It's going to take a couple years to unravel.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say that... that some of them sneak up on you. The, the way you describe them, I think, is probably best in that they're so insidious um, because they, they build up gradually. You know, like the, the fear of aging, for example. I have plenty of those things that I'm angry about. But I'm never... Re- like, you know, I, I now have to watch what I eat. I have to exercise four times as much just to stay where I am. Right. Um, my hair is thinning as well. Um, you know, I wish I was further along in certain things in my career path and all this other bullshit that... Yeah. It, it's, it's really hard, though, because... In in the journey that I've been taking recently, I'm having to take a long, hard look at each of those things and chop them out because I realize how absolutely detrimental they are to my psyche. And,
1: and that's, that's the and hard that's, part to chop them out
0: because Oh, it's so hard because you can't they, they just throw them away, so right? Yeah, you have to work through them. Deal with them.
1: <laughs> and that's the gross part is you're like, oh, I don't you've never done it before, right? You know, absolutely. If, no if it's something that you're carrying, if it's an anger you're dealing with, almost every anger you're going to deal with that, like that, you have to feel and you have to work your way through. It's going to be the first time because sure. most of it you've been repressing for a long time. So you're literally doing the hardest thing with absolutely no training. <laughs>
0: well, and I think I think it's 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 I think it's not just about repression; it's about awareness too. Like, I mean, it's not even that I'm purposefully repressing them; it's that I've I've I'm not even aware that I'm angry about these things until after the fact.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you, I think I would be surprised if more than 3% of repression is purposeful. I, th- I think almost all of it happens without our knowledge. It happens on a subconscious level because it's our psyche protecting itself. It's sure. a natural instinct mechanism, right? You know, like trauma. What, what, what is one of the things, the, the tropes that we grew up with about trauma Amnesia, right? Mm, sure. And it's, you know, they found out that that's probably not true. That that doesn't really happen very often. Um, but as a metaphor, it works really well because the metaphor of it was really nice and really neat because it kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. Your mind is protecting you from this thing, so it makes it go away. Well, it can't make it go away in repressed memory type thing as easily as they used to tell us that it could, but it can repress the emotion. You might remember the memory, and it might seem blasé, but deep down inside, something's simmering, and those are the those are the. That's why it's insidious. That's why that word is because it's evil. You know, it's conniving. It's the thing that's. It's like Iago, you know, hiding behind the corner and plotting. Sure, and then that's that's, it's fucking complicated. It's it's really is. I mean, if anybody here that's is listening that's probably I'd say under the age of twenty five. You probably haven't had to deal with much of this yet, because this is the kind of shit that comes as you get older. This is, I think, you know, Lamb. This could be some of the stuff that they referred to as midlife crisis type stuff. You know, like, oh shit, all this stuff I've been hiding from now has reached a point where I can't hide from it anymore.
0: Oh, I don't even doubt that. I'm I'm sure of it. Actually, I'm I'm sure that if we were to take a, a true analysis of it from from that perspective, that the combination of these things is what leads to what we commonly refer to as a midlife crisis. I feel like my, my ability to be self-aware has saved me from the larger version of that, but I definitely still experience that. And Mm, I experience it almost daily. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and for people who maybe don't experience it or know what we're talking about for me, for example, it'd be okay. 41 bald. Um, out of shape. You know, I'm not like completely out of shape, but I'm not in the shape I want to be in. And uh I don't have the career I want, or I'm not as far along in the career that I want. I'm not married. I don't have children. All these things that you haven't reached yet. And then you start going, I'm 41. And you start looking at those things, you go, what are the chances that those are going to happen between now and the time that I die? And you know, like there's certain things. Like for example, I'm probably never going to play football again. That's probably never going to happen. Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain acceptance to that. Be like, oh, I'm old enough that the chances of me getting on the field and putting on pads are probably zero. <laughs> and there are certain things that are much more serious to you, um, like getting married and all of these things, are for um, if you're interested in getting married, that is, or having a career or things like that there's bigger things that you, as you get older, you have to start slowly accepting those in the same way that you have to accept, you know, as a 41 year old, I'm probably not going to ever play football again. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a 60 year old, you're probably not going to have that long career that you've been dreaming of. You might maybe succeed at 60, but you're not going to have a long career because you're in your 60s already. You know, there's these, and that's, that's that's the real gross anger stuff you know that's the midlife crisis stuff the where people want a Ferrari because they're like fuck I'm never gonna have those things that i dreamt that and I thought I was always gonna have so I'm gonna get the Ferrari and I'm gonna date the 22 year old yeah because it, not that there's anything wrong with dating somebody younger than you but I'm just saying that that's the stereotypical you know televi television manifestation of a midlife crisis
0: but the but the reasons matter um, and and why you're dating a 22 22- Two or twenty-three. I'm I'm not saying that there should be any limits on love or any, any. And we know
1: a lot of people that date young people too. So yeah,
0: exactly. So it's so there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but the reasons are important.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that it's it's that that's what that manifestation of it is. You know, it's like okay, well, if I'm not going to have you know the wife and the and the kids and the happy family, then why not date somebody way younger than me that I probably don't have a future with because You know, when they get to 32, they're going to be in a different place. You know, they're they're still going through a change, and I'm kind of already who I am, and I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Um, So, you know, they're willing to accept that short-term relationship. I'm not saying that's that's our friends, but I'm saying these people going through midlife crisis—that's what they're thinking. Yeah, sure.
2: I'm
1: going to date a bunch of young girls because they're not going to take it seriously, and I don't need to either. And that's what I'll settle for instead of the thing that I really wanted
0: and that's that's awful it feels you know terrible but i will say that there's the the compulsion to do that is really strong um like post relationship for me for example i definitely have the impulse to do that and i and i'm not even that kind of guy so it's because
1: your your image of yourself is wounded so you're trying to you know inflate it like a balloon
0: yeah and 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 the interesting thing is having to make the choice to go the other way you know have finding someone for example who is also secure in who they are as a person and who is willing to accept me for everything that I am without without having to be okay also with who I might end up being i mean that's that's it's a weird choice to have to make and i actually consciously had to do that over the course of a month you know just to to really get a hold of of what my dating life and, and who I was going to be with was going to look like because my, you know, and, and that's the thing, the crazy thing about the end of a relationship, especially the, the type of seriousness and the length of the relationship that I just had is you have some really weird, your, your entire life plan as you understood it is now completely blown out of the water. Right. And there has to be a certain sense of bravery. You have to go into redefining that with, that's a lot tougher than it sounds. Yeah,
1: I can imagine. Because you have to prepare yourself for, you were in a place where you were willing to accept long term.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, we'll, we'll just for the sake of of making it easy for the audience, we'll say you were in a place that you were willing to accept the possibility of marriage.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
1: And now you're going to date. You can't go on a date with somebody in that place. You can't be still in the I'm ready to someday get married place. You no, can't you take can't. that to these it doesn't
0: people. Work. Totally who the,
1: who the fuck would want that and be like, hey, first date, let's
0: get married. Fuck you. <laughs> not, I don't know. Not, there are not definitely attractive. people out there. But yeah, I mean, but those I will... people have mental issues. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, that's not even mental issues. It's just re- it's just basically pushing codependency.
1: And um, I don't mean that they're broke the broken or anything, but I mean they have something they have their own things they need to work out. I want to make sure I'm not insulting anyone when I say that. They have mental issues they have to work through of their own sure, if they're almost. going to jump into something that fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's bounce around a little bit. Um, that was heavy. I have a breakup thing, which it, it works. I'm breaking up with Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of like the, that kind of stuff like we were doing with, with Google because it's not because of that. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep the beginning brief. What's more interesting is how this is kind of manifested recently. Um, but to put it very simply, you guys have heard me say many, many times, I know Lam, you've heard me say it inordinate times that I like to buy eBooks on the Kindle and the audiobook because I can listen to them and read them at the same time. Yep. So, and I, I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago every, at the end of every month, I, I have money allotted to buy books to start minimizing my bookshelves and, to slowly eat away at my ever-growing to read list. So I had gone in, I bought some audio companions for some stuff that I really owned eBooks for. I think it was about um, five or six books I bought audio companions for and open up the app and they're not showing up. Basically the way you can see in that app is you'll see the book cover and then you'll get a little headphone icon and I'm not seeing the headphone icons. That's weird. So I, You know, try to refresh the app. Nope. So close out the app, you know, restart the app, cancel it out. Turn it on again. Still not. Okay. Turn off my phone, restart my phone, go through the whole thing. Okay. There's a problem here. So email them. Takes them a day to get back to me and they get back to me and like, Oh, um, you're going to have to talk to someone on the Kindle team or whatever. I'm not going to remember all the details. It's not important. So I end up in a chat the next day with someone from the Kindle team. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, I get what's going on. Let me transfer you to the Audible team. So they transfer me to the Audible team. Mm, And then um, I go through some stuff with this person. They go, hold on, let me transfer you. They transfer me back to the Kindle team. Uh, I go through this about four times. Finally, the fourth person is able to fix four of the books you know i'm like okay i see it now they're like oh yeah there's there's the, don't explain don't ask me to explain this cuz i don't get it but when you go into your kindle content on the web you can update books you know like if somebody has a a misprint in the book or something they update the book or if there's new information they update the books so you can get updated versions it's one of the cool things about ebooks you know like it it c- continues it's a living document or it can be mm-hmm. um and you can do that manually. Well, I'm looking and I'm telling the person, I'm like, well, it's not telling me I need updates. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We can only see these ones on our end. I'm like, well, what the fuck is the point of this, <laughs> of this interface? <laughs> if I need updates for these books and I can't see it and I have what I have to like contact customer service every time I need a fucking book updated, what is this shit? So, anyways, I didn't say that to the person. The person was all these people actually, all of them were very nice. Um, so she fixes four of them, but there's still two. There's a problem. I won't go into the details on those two. What ends up happening is she can't fix those two, so she has to transfer me to someone else. Oh, no. That person... Now I'm annoyed. Um, so I, uh, but I don't say anything. That person transferred me to another person. I'm on person number six now. Um, when I get to person number six, before they even start typing... Oh, need I mention that every single time they transfer me to a person, they have to send me a text with a six-digit code that I have to tell them to verify my identity. So I've verified my identity six times on this phone call. I mean, on this uh, chat, which is just fucking ridiculous. But, anyways, so by the time this person comes on, before they even say anything, I say, I'm getting annoyed. <laughs> I know it's not your fault, but if you can't fix my problem and transfer me, I'm going to lose my shit, basically, is what I say. <laughs> And this person goes back and forth with me and then never says anything and transfers me without saying anything. Whoa. So now I get the next person. And guess what? I've seen this person before. <laughs> oh, no. I got transferred back to someone that I had dealt with before. And I said to this person, I said, you know what? I don't care anymore. Give me a refund. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just want a refund. Oh, and one of the books they had... Um, I guess I have to tell this part. So one of the books was an audio companion to an ebook, and I've had both for a long time, but they never showed up. And they're like, "Oh, that's because you have the wrong version of the audiobook." And I'm like, "What? There's multiple versions of the audiobooks, and only one syncs to the book. What the fuck?" And they're like, "Oh, no problem. We'll return that book, and then I'll give you a credit, and then you just use that credit to get the right
0: oh audio my God. companion." So I'd done impressive. that.
1: So when I get to this last person and. They go, okay, I can refund this one, but I can't refund that other one because you used a credit to buy that. And I'm like, I used a credit that somebody, three people before you, just fucking gave me. So now I lost my shit. And you know, I just type in, I said whatever, and I closed out the fucking chat window. Like done. I don't even care anymore. And so then you know, you get your email. how was your experience with us? And I just went off. And I had written the list. I wrote the list of every single person I talked to. And I said in there, I'm not blaming a single one of these people. But the fact that not one of them could solve my full issue says more about your system than it does about your staff because your staff was always blight, but your sure. system is shit. And I said, and because of that, I will never buy another book from you again. And no one even bothered to fucking email me after that. How's uh, that?
0: How's well, that? now you know. Now you know. So
1: here's the, here's the, insidious part about it, if we want to use that word again. Um, audiobooks, right? So where would you go to get your audiobooks next if you're not going to buy from Audible anymore? Who would your first stop be?
0: Probably directly from Apple.
1: Right. That's And then I started thinking about them all. Are there any other choices? Nope. Not really. Not really. So here's the funny part. 70 ish percent of the books in Apple Uh, Apple Books audiobooks come from Audible. (laughs) That's why they're more expensive in Apple Books than they are in the Audible app because Amazon jacks up the prices so that they, you know, Apple takes their 30%, so they just charge you 30% more.
0: Oh, geez. Well, that's shitty to know. I didn't know that.
1: So, how the fuck do you get audiobooks? How is that not monopoly? First of all, there's no legitimate competition. So how's that not... I mean, I don't understand how that's not a monopoly. Is it just nobody cares about audiobooks enough to look into it?
0: In all likelihood,
1: yeah. Here's another thing. Since I was going through this whole thing of breaking up with Amazon, I go, okay, then I'm not going to buy these fucking comics from Comixology anymore either because Amazon owns them as well. I'm going to get the... I'll get the DC app and I'll get the Marvel app and I'll buy it directly from DC and directly from Marvel. Guess what? The architecture of the DC app and the Marvel app are both Comicsology, And when oh, you buy them, you're buying them from Amazon.
0: Oh, man.
1: So you can't buy digital comics without buying them from Amazon either.
0: And you're just unraveling this giant rabbit hole as you're going. It's just awful.
1: So all of this made me think, you know what? I can go deeper in this too. Like, for example, did you know that most of iCloud runs on Amazon A3?
0: I actually did know that.
1: Yeah, so you can't get away from Amazon if you want to. Yep. The only company that that it, it doesn't matter. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but so basically I said screw it. I'm going to I'll buy it from Apple anyways. And it'll just be like my my middle finger to to Amazon that they know that I can buy it from them for cheaper and I'd still rather pay more and take it from Apple. So I don't. I don't think they care either way. But whatever, I feel better about it. But because of that, now I can't, you know, look at the ebook and listen to the audio at the same time.
0: Well, and, let me let me ask you this though: If Amazon yeah, yeah. came came out of nowhere um, and replied to your email in a really regretful and positive way, would you go back to them? No. Hmm. Interesting. Okay.
1: Because I think that what I'm seeing here is not a, a blip. I don't think I've been thinking about this a lot, and I I don't I'm not being um I'm not in a rage and you know this I'm just throwing a temper tantrum or whatever. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think what we're seeing is this this is just a symptom of the way that they do business. This is who they are as a company. This is their identity. And this type of of behavior of you know the, they're just like Microsoft. You know like the worst that's the second worst customer service experience of my life. The first was with Microsoft. When I got bounced through eight different departments for something else entirely, um, it's the same thing that they don't know how to they've got so many things going on that they don't know how to bring it all together, because they, they want to put their feet into every pond and see which one, you know or the, which one has good water, and which one's warm, which one's tepid, where are we going to make the most money? It's not about building a good company. It's about building a good profit. And that's it. That sounds like very different. Maybe that doesn't make sense to people what I'm saying there. But what I mean is, they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the the money flow keeps coming in and keeps growing. And um, a great example of this is, you know, they're firing all of their most of their shipping employees now because they're going to have robots do it. Yeah. Um, it's a big thing right now. But this is the way that they do things. Whereas somebody who builds a good business builds it upon a principle. And money is not a principle. Money is a symptom. And Amazon's built upon the idea of accumulation of money. Um, Good businesses are built upon the idea of building something that matters, something that helps people, or something that uh, does something for the world. And I don't want to give... I want to give as little of my money as I possibly can to companies who just want to make money and i want to give more even if it costs me more in the long run to companies that do things that stand for something and i'm not saying apple is that company they do seem to be that company i'm not positive that they're completely that company but they're more that than amazon and since i only have the two choices i'll choose the one that's more that way sure like i you know like google would be with amazon as far as you know they say they're trying to make the world a better place they're not hmm so anyways, what that made me do I, was I had to start reevaluating the way I read and I started thinking about well, what am I doing? Why do I need why do I need these ebook things? You know, why am I going through this? Why am I you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I had it kind of goes back to something we were saying before, doing things without thinking about them, right? You know, this automated behavior. And I I found that that's what I was engaging myself in is I was taking these notes and highlights and all of this stuff, but why? What was I doing with those? And I didn't have an answer to that. I mean, I was, I was collecting them because uh, I was like the hoarder, you know, the saving it, like uh, Tom mentions in the episode I did with him that he was on an episode of Hoarders. And he was like one of the people helping to move stuff. Well, I watched that episode, and it's like this old guy who has tons of cars and stuff like that. And he's literally he's like an inventor, so he's saving all this stuff because he's like, "Well, I could do something cool with that, and I can use that piece for that." And that's literally what I was doing. I was hoarding highlights. You so, don't
0: feel like you don't feel like it enriches your experience.
1: No, because I wasn't engaging with it. it highlighting means nothing unless you're doing something with it. Unless oh, sure. you're. You know what I mean? It's it's literally just collecting, and I think in some ways it allows you to um re it allows you to act with a book in a passive manner that makes you think you're acting in an active manner. I'm highlighting this, therefore I know that I'm paying attention. But if you're not doing anything with that highlight, if you're not going back and looking at it, if you're not thinking about it, if you don't flip the books open every once in a while or the ebooks and just read the highlights and and think about them again, then you're not engaging actively, you're sure engaging passively, you're just fooling yourself um it's like what we've said with productivity, you know like busy and productive are two different things. highlighting just for the sake of highlighting is is busy work and so I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, what is a good way for me to engage? And i mean, like, what matters? What matters? And what matters is that I read a book and it makes me think, right? Well, one of the things also in the episode I said with, with Tom was, I'm not stupid enough to believe that I get everything out of a book the first time I read it. That's why I reread. Sure. Most of the time, if we're lucky, I'm sure you can back me up on this. We walk away from a book with one, two ideas that stick with us. Sure. And it's rarely the, the whole idea of the book. It's like some small part. Like Don Quixote, I've mentioned before how much I dislike Don Quixote. But there's like a, a chapter, in there. I think it's like chapter three, where they're trying to throw away his books. And that stuck with me. Because it reminded me of people who collect comic books. Mm-hmm. Not important right now, but that little thing stuck with me from that book. So what did I get from Don Quixote? Sure, I understood the whole story or whatever. But that's not what I got from it. When I got from it, it was that one little small moment. And that's all I needed. And when I go back and read it again, which I will, I'll get something different because that won't connect with me this time. So, why do I need ebooks at all? You know, like if I, if I get the audiobook, why do I need the e companion? And if I can't get the audiobook, you know, like I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, who cares where I read it or how I read it as long as I come out of the idea with it? so what i've been trying to do is mostly focus on audiobooks and i only listen to them when i'm in the mood to focus where i'm where i'm in a state where i can pay attention and i just i don't try to write anything down if i have to write some if i feel compelled to write something down i will mm. but if i get to the end of the book and i don't have anything to say about it anything to think about it you know like as far as having to write anything down then that's it that's that's that was my experience with the book, the end. Um, but then I stumbled upon this idea of taking my journal and just journaling at the end of every book. Not collecting notes. If there's notes, like I said, I was compelled to write something down. Of course, put those in the journal. But the main purpose of the journal is to write about my experience reading the book. I remember the part where they were talking about this, and I was walking down this street. And I was looking at this. And that seems silly. But what I'm doing is I'm connecting an idea to an emotional experience if it happened. You know, I'm not forcing it. So that when I go back and I reread those notes, I can reconnect to that moment. And when I reconnect to that moment, I can reconnect to that revelation of what that thought was. Because the emotion and the thought are tied together. Does that make sense?
0: That's actually weirdly present of you.
1: It's it's. It's really, it's been very fascinating. It really has, and I haven't. I mean, I would recommend it for sure. But it, it plays into something I'm going to talk about later. But I've been talking a lot, so I want to. I want to bounce back to you for a while.
0: Well, I really like the idea of that actually, because I feel like you you take yourself in and out of the experience by, you know, because I used to do that religiously too. Like when I was in college, or when I was reading certain authors. Like I remember doing that a lot with Kerouac, um, where I would stop and then I would pull a quote and then I would write what I thought about that particular thought or quote or idea. And it would take me out of the experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, especially in the last like maybe decade of my life, I don't stop to... I, I, I have books like my, my copy of Catcher in the Rye, for example, I've had since I was like, I don't know, 16. There's all kinds of notes in the marginalia. There's, there's notebooks that I've written that have been companions to it from my own brain. And... I never ever go back to them. <laughs> you know, like I never go back to my notebooks, I never reread my notes. I just every time I reread Catcher in the Rye or something like that, I just read it as a brand new experience. And so for the last decade, I don't think I've written in a single book that I've read. And and that's a very different experience considering who I thought I was as um a reader. And having that real sense of connection back to the material and reading it continuously. Like when I read Murakami, for example, you would think like, especially for something like Wind of Bird Chronicles, for example, you'd have tons of notes on that, right? I read that through without writing a single note and I feel like that greatly enriched my experience.
1: Right, sometimes you just, and it's not a bad thing, sometimes you just get lost in the book. Yeah. You just, I'm, I'm here. I don't, I, I, nothing's pulled me out. I'm in it. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, but going back to the marginalia, I think it was Austin Cleon mentioned something about always reading with a pencil, and there is something different about writing in a physical book than in anything else because, at least, used to be. Maybe things have changed now, or maybe we've just changed. But I remember connecting when he said this, connecting with and going, "Yes, I used to be like that when I was younger." When you were writing the book, you you weren't writing in the book because you ever thought that you were going to see it again it just happened sure you know like it was just you know like what i said about being compelled to write something down and if you go back and you find those notes from those days at least with mine it was like a dialogue with the author i oh, would know, sure. like say something and i'd look in the column and it would be me in pencil i wrote in the you know the margin i said fuck you, you know, like <laughs> i disagree with that and, but that's healthy and that's good but i think that that has to happen naturally and i think i was in a state where i was trying to manufacture that in every every book that I read. Um, you know, like I just finished reading the A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnick, which is probably going to be my number one book for the year. Um, I didn't write a single thing down. Nothing. Mm. I was just lost in the book. I mean, ironic since it's a book about getting lost. But... Um, and even at parts, like I don't even I don't even know that I was completely tuned into what she was saying. I was just kind of like swimming in the words. And that's okay too. You know, like we we have this that's one thing that's beautiful about audiobooks. Um audiobooks allow you to drift in and out. You know, like of your awareness. You might space out for a chapter. And as long as you're not, you know, reading uh, a novel where you need to know the information from that chapter. You, you'll do all right. You know, nonfiction books, you can drift in and out. We don't have to be completest about everything. You know, like I said, if you, you pull something out, one idea out of a book, that's enough. And it's, it's, it's a fun experience. It's re, it's like relearning how to read.
0: Yeah, and and I feel like that applies to a lot of things too. Like I feel like I'm listening to, and I don't even know if it's intentional, but I feel like I'm listening to music very differently now than I used to. Um, in that I I spend more time, or I, actually I spend a whole heck of a lot less time trying to figure out what the music means and just being in the music for the the music's sake. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of lame, but. You know, it, it's. I definitely feel much more connected to the 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 art that I appreciate these days, as opposed to before, where um, there was more of a workman feel to it. Like, I feel like um, as a writer, for example, there are moments where I definitely tried to understand too much about the craft that it took to write a given thing, versus just enjoying it for what it was. Um, and I know, you know, if you if you do a particular thing, like I know, movie makers do have that problem too. Like, they can't objectively watch a movie um, without trying to figure out how it was made um and i feel like a lot of the reason why that's happened for me lately is because i i have this incessant need to wonder um i crave that feeling i crave the the you know i i crave wondering about things and i think that that when i suspend disbelief like that and i connect myself more to the 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 art for the art's sake versus what I did before. um, I feel like I have a much stronger connection to the the work itself.
1: Yeah. I think like I would always like, I liked the idea of reading books and then, you know, writing about the book afterwards, you know, like uh, online or, you know, like writing reviews um, and music too. Like, Oh, I, I love music. I would love to write about music. And I could never get myself to do it. And I think there's something about it that it's just not for me. That's not the way I am. Um, And this is different than the journaling because like I said, the journaling is about the experience and it's just for me. Um, But sometimes things, you get to the end of something and you don't have thoughts about it. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes, you know, like it, it, Uh, especially like a book something dense like a book it could take you years for it to sink in and go oh that's what that book means to me oh that's what that part means and I, i think that it has a lot to do with um purchase culture you know like i bought the book i read the book therefore now that i'm done with the book i understand the book sure that's not the way it works it's like i bought the book and then i read the book and then that's it i don't know I don't know what's going to happen after that. <laughs> we don't know. You may never connect with it.
0: That's why we yeah, read. And I feel like there are definitely, there are books that I almost entirely gave up on because I felt like I would never connect with them. Like anything by Dickens, for example, is a good example of that. Um, but I feel like as an older man, I, I definitely have, I finally get it. <laughs> you know, Um and with certain pieces, I feel like that—that's true too. Like some of the, even even some of the work that I thought I understood, um, you know, like I went through some old Shakespeare lately, like you know, just understanding um, King Lear for for what it was, or understanding the struggle within Macbeth. Um, I find that now that I'm an older man and I I have to make different choices, I definitely much more clearly understand those pieces um, as standalones than I did when I was younger.
1: You know, I think for for me too. I think what I was. I can't speak for you, of course, but what I was trying to do, I think, was um, it became a download. I wasn't reading books. I was downloading books. Sure. And like, how fast can I get through this book? And I'm going to take these notes and these highlights because I know, you know, I'm listening to this at 2.5 times speed. Therefore, I'm, it's not that 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 great quote right there that I really like. I don't have time to sit here and let that sink in. So let me highlight that. And as a consequence of that too, I've been trying to listen to things at around original speed. Uh-huh. S- some people read really slow and it's too slow for me. So I'll go up to like 1.25 or 1.5 sometimes. Um, like for example, uh, wonderful audiobook. If you guys have, um, an Apple product, go into book, Apple books and get, um, the Secret Garden, by Mary Something Hodgson. Um, it's read by Karen Gillian from Doctor Who, um, and it's free. By the way, it's it's something that Apple made themselves. It's not from Audible. It actually says Apple Audio at the beginning. It's free. It's the full book, and she she does a wonderful job reading it. She does character voices and everything, but because she has that brogue, she reads slower than she would actually talk. Hmm. Because I, I, you know, like it's being put out for mass consumption and it's kind of a um, secret garden to some degree is considered a children's book, even though I wouldn't consider that. It's very deep in ways that a children's book isn't usually. Um, so she's probably trying to slow down even more, you know, younger audience and people not uh, necessarily going to be able to understand her accent. So I sped her up so that she sounds more like what Karen Gillian normally sounds like. Um, that
0: Oh, have you ever read that book, Lamb? No, not. I have not.
1: That is a profoundly sad book. Huh. It's beautiful, but <laughs> profoundly sad. Not in a in a bad way. In a sublime way. Um, I don't I don't know a lot of details about it, but it's it's essentially about what it's like to grow up and have nobody give a shit about you. Jeez. Like, you're just like you're like an object, this thing, and how you become this obnoxious child because no one ever fucking loved you. So what else would you become? Sure, and it's it's profoundly sad because of that, but it's so beautifully written, um, highly highly recommended. But definitely get the Karen Gilliam version because wonderful narrator and a beautiful redhead, and everybody knows I love redheads. Um, anyways, so speaking I have one
0: very quickly though. Speaking of which, that's the reason why even to this day, I I. I... I tried it for a little bit, um, you know, listening to the podcast at faster speeds and I still can. not
1: I have to with certain podcasts. If I listen to Joe Rogan at one time speed, I would shoot myself. <laughs> um, it's just so slow. I wouldn't listen to our show at one time speed. I've, when I edit, by the way, <laughs> I don't edit our show at one time speed. I edit our show at double speed. Oh, geez, um, really? We are really... I think that I, when I'm talking on here, I think I'm talking fast. I am talking really slow. And for any of you listening at one-time speed, I am so sorry.
0: <laughs> I, like you, I like the way you sound at one-time speed.
1: Well, I don't, but it's my voice, so. Yeah, true. I think you sound fine, but I sound like I'm really just barely <laughs> to the point. <laughs> uh, anyways, I have a, another larger topic, but I don't want to go to it right now. What I would like to go to right now, if you're willing, is what we teased at the beginning. You want to talk about politics or your politics
0: wow um yeah i guess i mean if we're there we might as well go there um
1: to clarify before we scare anybody off we're not going to talk about politics in the sense of the news it's something different trust me stick around
0: yeah we're talking about politics in the sense of the choice um for anyone who's aware of what's been going on in politics lately, um Alabama just recently legislated on women's bodies um in a way that is pretty horrifying for twenty nineteen um and that is just one of the many, many reasons why um I'm feeling a very strong compulsion to run for public office um It's not going to happen immediately i I initially thought that it was going to happen immediately, um, but cooler heads prevailed um, and I had some people including um, some people in in government um I, I don't want to, you know, breach my confidence with them so I can't mention exactly who they are. Um, but they they gave me that moment of clarity saying, you know, don't do not do this because you're trying to react to the situation. Do it because you understand the sacrifice that's involved in, in serving the greater good and what that will mean for your life. Um, I feel like I've been built for this my entire life. Like I've basically subtly um, or not so subtly been training for this my entire life. And I feel like I'm finally ready um, to accept that this is who I am and what I've always wanted. And so in the next two years, um, I may be heading into public office. um, And in no small way either, there's a possibility that I might be running for state assembly. So that's going to be pretty lofty. um, But I also think we're the achievable at the same time.
1: And then people will be able to pull out every bad dick or fart joke that I've made on this podcast... Uh, and, and throw it at you, and you will be prepared because I've thrown far worse at you.
0: You know what? You know what's <laughs> funny about that? I can't wait because I was. You know, there are people who who you know. I thought about the podcast, and I thought about my past and the things that I've done, and you know my my social media presence, for example, and things I've posted on Instagram. And I have decided that I really don't give a shit. That's the Um,
1: only way that, to be honest, not to to steal this from you for for a second, um, that's the only way politicians are going to be able to survive in the future is that people just have to accept like the past is the past and what people do online is what they did online. Yeah, man. Because there's always well, gonna be something only, to throw at somebody, right?
0: Well not, not only not online, but I, I just I'm not gonna curate my life. I'm a I'm a human being. Exactly. You know? I, I drank beers with my friends. I went to Vegas for a bachelor party, whatever it may be. You know, like I, I got have stabbed no, in the testicles. Yeah, I have absolutely zero problem with Me being myself. And yes, that's an actual story. Um, (laughs) I can't believe you brought that up in the middle of the podcast. So that's good. Someone's going to ask me about that at some point. Great. Yeah. Prepare Um,
1: that for your speech. Yeah. But, but, you know, like like, I said, I'm going to get you ready for this.
0: (laughs) I absolutely can't wait. Like, I can't wait for people to ask me questions about my past. You know, like I didn't, I'd never finished college. Um, I didn't graduate with my high school class. Um, And, and it was for reasons that were, were pretty telling about the state of education at the time when I as I was going through it. I don't I I would consider myself to be a reasonably reasonably smart person. And it was not because of my environment, it was in spite of it. And so I feel like if there's anyone who has any kind of tangible credibility about the woefully inadequate nature of the educational system as we know it, it's a person who transcended it.
1: Right. Well, I think that's like if I ever if I ever ran, first thing that probably come up is that I was arrested. Um, guess what? I'm glad I was because I learned something from that experience. And sure. I wouldn't be the person I am if I hadn't learned from that. And I think that's kind of like what the future of politics really has to be. is not hiding from things that we've done in the past. It's learning to tell the story. You sure. know what I mean? And I don't mean like a fake story. I mean, tell the real story. You know, like what did you did, you made a mistake, and what were the consequences of that, and what did that make you, and sure. what is what that made you mean something to us you know, like for example, if you were somebody who you know was a felon or I don't think felons can run for public office, but we'll say they could
0: <laughs> um, there are plenty there are plenty of felons in public office,
1: <laughs> yeah they just haven't been caught yet um, <laughs> uh or they haven't been prosecuted yet. I should say
0: there you go, that's a better way of saying it
1: um but If you are a convicted felon, let's say you could run for office and you ran for office and they're like, tell us about this, you know, 10 years you served for armed robbery. Well, I'd be really willing to vote for somebody who said, you know what, I was 22 years old and this is what I thought life had to offer for me. And this is what I did. And that 10 years, this is what happened to me in prison. Absolutely. I read books. I learned this. I became this person, um, you know, whatever. Maybe I found religion, whatever. And then because of that, I also have a very unique perspective into what needs to be done to fix our prisons because I know what it's like to be in one. You know what? I would vote for that person.
0: I 100% agree with that, and that's part of the reason why my platform, when I do run for Assembly, well, I'm just going to say it now, um, is going to be based on the things that were the pain points for me growing up in the neighborhood that I did. Um, there were definitely very strong and palpable, very tangible limitations placed on how far um, the educational system made us think we could go. And you know, if if I end up running for Assembly and winning, then it's a testament to how wrong they were. And and I don't blame I don't blame my teachers I don't blame the schools um, I blame the system that created that mentality
1: right yeah, because it it beats them into the
0: mold right absolutely it says you can be whatever you want as long as it's these twelve things
1: <laughs> yeah. and you're probably not going to get into this college this college this college this college exactly We're not going to bother pushing you
0: yeah so here's so here's Yanza and here's what community college looks like
1: and that's like one of the things that. It's interesting I have the other end of the perspective because uh, my mother always wanted me to go to private schools. So even though we didn't have a lot of money, she would always find a way to work extra hours or whatever to pay the ridiculous amount of money that people charge for that kind of schooling. But because we were in, in private school, we were all pushed to apply for the top, top, top schools. Well, guess what? Even in a private school, not everyone's meant for Yale. Not everyone's going to go to Harvard. Harvard. You know, some people, I know a good percentage of people that went to De Anza from sure. from my class. And you know what? They probably still had great lives. But the fact is that we had the other end of perspective in the sense that people were pushing us to go beyond ourselves. And it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate that the other, that private or public schools don't do the same.
0: Well, and don't get me wrong, though there are actually public schools that do. You know, I had Mm -hmm. a—I actually had a very strange public school experience in that half of my my public school tenure was spent in on the east side, um, you know, which is socio socio from a socioeconomic standpoint, um, not as affluent as where I spent the last two years of my high school tenure, which was in Cupertino, Um, and there was a vast difference in the expectation and the resources available to meet that expectation. Um, right. And th- those were both public schools. But let me tell you, not all public schools are created equally.
1: No, yeah. It, I mean, for people who are not from the Bay Area, the, the east side, it, I wouldn't put it on par with, but you're looking at something more that would, people would use a term like inner city. You know, it's like it's more street. It's more sure. urban, right? And then Cupertino is suburbs. So Cupertino is particularly a lot of white people and a lot of Asian people, and
0: well, to give you some perspective on it, like Apple's headquarters is smack dab in the middle of it.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's a lot of engineers and a lot of you know very intelligent people and their children, and these intelligent people make a lot of money, so the public schools have a lot of money. Um, I don't understand how that works. Really, seems a little weird, a little wonky. Like I thought the money was supposed to go from the schools from the same place. Um, But apparently it doesn't work that way. Sure. But anyways, I think that's going to be an interesting journey and I'm hoping that we'll continue to podcast through the whole thing because I think it'd be very fascinating um, to be able to document some of that journey.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Um, I legitimately don't know. um, I mean, this is all entirely new for me. Strangely, considering that um, I'm getting the support that I am from from various places, like you know, assembly members and 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 Congress people and stuff. I mean, I, I I have a level of support that I never even understood um, was possible. From I, I don't even it's 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 humbling and overwhelming in a lot of ways uh, because I every person I approach with this, including all the people in my life, my friends, my family, they're all like, "Of course you should do this. Of course you should." You know, there's there's no fear or trepidation or anything like that from anyone. Like it's, it's the fear and trepidation actually comes from me. Like you know, I I understand the choice that I'm about to make, and I think that's the reason why it actually be good for it is because this is not about my ego. This is about doing some actual good and what that what that actually means. Um, but yeah, it's it's strange that every person in my life that I've 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 told this to has basically said yes. This is what you've been built to do your entire life. You're just finally realizing it.
1: You know, it's interesting. You're reminding me of the episode this week with, on Joe Rogan where he had Tulsi Gabbard on. I don't know if you happen to hear it. No, I have not. And for anybody who doesn't know, she's running for president. Um, basically, one of the most fascinating and one of the coolest things that she said in the episode is—you're is reminding me of it right now—is it's about service. You know, it's yeah. not about it's not about wanting to be. Um, You know, for her, it's not about wanting to be president. It's about wanting to serve. And that perspective is, I I recommend everybody listening to that episode, whether you're um, a Republican or a Democrat or independent of some sort, just to hear what it's like for a politician, number one, to talk like a normal human being and not talk like a robot, um, but also to hear them, someone talk about service. Even if you don't agree with them, just to hear somebody actually talk about that and for it to sound like they actually mean it. I think it's very profound
0: and you know i think that's where it comes from for me is that you know anytime anytime i've told anyone about this it hasn't immediately sparked an excitement from me it there's a solemnness to my response to my own words you know and i think that's that 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 means that for the first time in my life i'm actually considering doing something like this for the right reasons and it definitely is about service you know when i when i contemplate the 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 change in my life and what that ultimately represents for where my path will be going forward. I'm choosing a life of service that is very defined in that sense, um, and i i don't I don't take that lightly or easily. Um, so I, you know, every time I even mention it, I take a long, deep breath and I I, I have to fight the words out because it's it's that important.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good place to come from, and I think that it's very rare. Well, maybe it's not that rare, but it, it feels like it's really rare for people to come from that place. It's it's it, At least from the perception of the public, it does feel like there's a lot of people out there that just run because, I mean, for example, our president. They, regardless of what you feel about him, there's a lot of people that know him that say he didn't actually want to win. He just ran because, you know, he wanted to be able to say he ran for president, you know, whatever. Um, when some that, that's that's a, no people are willing to believe that story, whether it's true or not, people are willing to believe that story. Why are they willing to believe that story? Because that's what we've been expected to think of politicians—that they run for their own egos. Sure, and and that's depressing. And I and I know that for some people, that's definitely true. There are definitely people out there who have run for their own egos, um, and a lot of times they lose because they can't carry people. Sure, but I think that even if everybody out there is really doing what you're talking about, just coming from the right place. um, They're doing a shitty job of of communicating that. And I think that my advice to you, since you're coming from the right place and you're not jumping into it right away, is spend a lot of time thinking about how to communicate that over and over again in a way that other people aren't because that's what's going to make you stand out
0: well and and it's funny you say that um that's literally all I've been thinking about for the last two weeks of my life, pretty much ever since the the thought germinated in my head um, to the point where about a week ago I finally made the decision um to to actually do it is all all I want to do is find the right way to communicate that and and thankfully I have at least one really, really great example of that in my own life. Um, and I feel extremely fortunate to, to, to have met and befriended this person. Her name is Audrey Denny, and she's running for Congress. And that's her entire message. You know, her entire message is about service. Her entire message is about is about the reality of the choice that she had to make um, in the face of other options. And I think that that's such an important message to get across, um, you know, even for a guy like me. You know, I have, I have plenty of other options... Um, you know in business and in life that I could pursue i have I have career paths that are laid out in front of me that I could push forth and i 'm choosing to do this because the world needs people who are in it for the right reasons, and that 's the reason i 'm doing it and there's there 's no there's no part of me that diminishes the sacrifice that I have to make in order to do that. And I feel like in order to be fair to myself and and the people I'd be working for, which is basically all of the people, um, that I have to be fully aware of that choice.
1: Yeah. And finding the words, I mean, you're pretty good at finding the words already. But being able to put those <laughs> together into speeches is going to be fun to watch you do.
0: Well, I feel like I feel like if I can do it off the top of my head to you right now, um, I can probably craft a pretty good version of that moving forward as well. But to be real with you, I don't think my voice is going to change a whole lot, you know? Um, no, I doubt it. I, I, you know, in, in speaking with, with, you know, the, the people that I have through all of this, one of the things that, that consistently comes across, even with, you know, um, in my previous relationship, like one of the things that Chris used to tell me is, is that my ability to communicate complex ideas very simply or, or grave ideas, um, very simply is my strong suit when it comes to my ability to communicate. So I don't think that's going to change.
1: That's probably why this show works because I'm really good at doing the opposite. I'm really good at conflating small things into really big things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm I'm the one-liner guy man i know that i it's it's in my nature to try to condense and simplify it without losing the idea and i think that's important too as well is that i'm not going to oversimplify things um nor nor is me simplifying anything taking away from the meaning or gravity of anything it's just simplification right
1: yeah, i think uh, i stumble and i that's that's um, that's my style. That's probably one of the things I hate about listening to myself too, where I'm like, what the fuck? Chad, get to the end of the sentence. <laughs> get to the end of the sentence, Chad. Can you can you get there? It's like watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Can he can he save Alyssa Milano? <laughs> Somebody needs to save her. Um anyways. Ah it's gonna be a fun adventure. Um my other topic for today, which I'm very interested to hear your input on because it's something we've talked about before, is I have become a very avid walker. Um, And this has something to do with the audiobooks and all that. But the interesting manifestation of this is that... um, I guess I should start somewhere at the beginning. Um, When I was trying to listen to the audiobooks, I decided, I'm like, when's the best time for me to pay attention to audiobooks? I'm like, oh, when I'm walking... Yeah, because I can't be distracted in the way that I would be if I'm in the house. So, like the first day, I was reading um, "Architecture of Happiness" by Alain Botan, which is a beautiful book uh, if you like architecture. It's kind of like a it's like an erotic novel for people who like architecture. It's not literally an erotic novel, but I just mean it's like it's not really a love letter to architecture. It's a little sexier than that, Um, just because his language is wonderful. Um but anyway, so I was totally and there 's all these Eichler homes around me, and um talk about this in the Tom episode to some degree so i'm i 'm walking and i 'm looking at these Eichler homes that i 'm fascinated the architecture on and i 'm listening to a book about the love of architecture It's just like this beautiful synergy right wonderful, and there 's just a perfect breeze, and the dog and I are just I came back and I was just feeling wonderful um and the next day I, I finished the book that day um so i came back and i'm like okay i'm going to go for another walk tomorrow i'm gonna, except i like purposely you know when you have those magic moments um it's just the right place or whatever you want to you immediately want to go back you know like whatever if you if you want a, a vacation to hawaii and you had the best vacation you want to go back there next year right sure but the second time it's usually not as good right because now you have these expectations for it it's got to be like last time um and i was afraid of that i was afraid of that so like when i went for a walk i'm like i'm going to go a different direction i'm not i'll save that i'll go back to that spot again sometime there's plenty of neighborhoods so i went a different direction and i had in the headphones and i'm like you know what we talked about before with the sunglasses and the hat and not feeling like i was present um and I was kind of feeling that way, so I'm like, I can't put these in yet. So I just kind of walked normal, you know, not no headphones in, and I had an even better time. And huh. so now I've been every day. I and this is different than I walked before. I should clarify this. I was walking every day before. Um, typically, when I was walking before the dog, I would walk to the coffee shop, which is about eh, twenty, fifteen, twenty minutes, depending on my speed. Have coffee, you know, do whatever, doing for a couple hours. And then come back. So it's really, I wasn't only really walking in 20 minute spurts, but all of these new walks have been around an hour. And I highly recommend everyone do these. Um, there's something magical about that hour, first of all, because I think until you hit the 30 minute point, your endorphins don't start kicking in. You know, you don't start feeling, you're not, something happens physiologically once you hit that 30 minutes but between 30 minutes and an hour that's when the clarity comes because these things i don't know how to describe it but this is this is real you know this isn't like some fantasy thing you start feeling good and then when you start feeling good you start paying attention you're like look at that tree look at this house and it could be a mundane very mundane um suburban home But you notice something about it that you wouldn't normally notice. Why? Because you're in a good mood. You're feeling nice. The endorphins are going. Maybe you have a little, little bit of a, um, little bit of a buzz almost, you know, like a, the same thing that people talk about, you know, like when they go on hikes, you know, they get high on nature. I don't think it's nature. I think it's actually your body. You're exerting yourself in nature and then you're releasing the endorphins and then you're feeling good. And now you can appreciate the nature in a way that you couldn't before. I've learned how to do that in suburbia walking through neighborhoods and looking at houses. And it started with wanting to look at Eichler's, but then um, I went through this neighborhood, a different direction. There's no Eichler's over there. And actually a lot of really just uninspiring architecture. But at about 30 minutes, I started feeling good and being really fascinated But like, Oh, look at, look at the way that they did this with the driveway. That's very different than this. And I don't know that 30 minutes to an hour, what you think about it, it's not just about the houses and stuff. Those are just like small little details. Your mind goes into a very different place. And it's almost like a trance, almost like a meditation or a trance. And a trance has maybe some negative connotations for people. But you're, you're thinking, you're very actively thinking, but you're not, there's no effort to it. It's very effortless thinking. And your mind's just kind of flowing everywhere. And it's a lot like what people describe as the flow state. Mm. And um, I also started I just started reading this book because of my recent love for walking. Um, shit, what's it called? Something about walking. Um, I'm looking right now. Anyways, in the book that I will tell you the title of in a second, Oh, Philosophy of Walking by Frederick Gross. He talks about Nietzsche or Nietzsche. Um, Frederick Nietzsche uh, was philosopher. If you don't know who he was, anyways, the guy used to walk eight hours a day sometimes. Jeez, eight hours a day—that's amazing. But there's um, there's a book he wrote called The Wanderer. Well, it's actually uh, the book is called Human, All Too Human. But the third section of the book—it's a really long book. The third section of that book um, is referred to as Book Three, and that's called The Wanderer in His Shadow. And he wrote the entirety of that book while walking.
0: Was so, that also in Was that also in digital minimalism as well?
1: Maybe, maybe I didn't connect with it then. Talking about um, only taking certain things from books, I don't remember. It's possible. Yeah, that would be funny
0: because um, this is not this is not the first time I, I remember hearing about this, and I have a feeling it was because of the it was in digital minimalism, and it's one of the things that stuck out to me.
1: Yeah, as you say that, I'm like, oh, that sounds possible. So it's probably true. I just didn't connect with it. I was like, hey, whatever. Huh. Um, fascinating, right? Kind of like ties back to that topic we were talking about before with books. No kidding. But he wrote that whole book while walking. He would, he, Kind of like me, he'd have a little notebook and he'd just have an idea. He would stop and then scribble something down then walk more. Um, because it's the flow state. It's literally you, when you go on a walk, you end up in the flow state. It's, it's wonderful. I don't know I could ever do eight hours like Nietzsche. Um, but yesterday I did two. And that was fascinating. I mean, I I should have done an hour and 45 because the the last like 15 minutes were rough because my feet started hurting. But what a fantastic experience. I don't, I've been, I've been thinking, I knew I was going to talk about this on the episode and I'm like, how do I explain this to people? Because it's such a, it's so hard not to use lofty words that are people going to make me think that think that I'm like exaggerating this but it is such a transcendent experience in the sense that I don't know that there's a way to explain what it feels like and how it affects your mind and your being and who you are in a positive way. I just, all I can say is like, go for a really long walk and you'll find out.
0: It's, and, it's, it's funny. You mentioned it. Go ahead. I, I have, I have no, a no, no, go, go, go. huge piece to add to this one. Um, so about six, no, about seven years ago, I started playing golf, and i I play golf in in three different states essentially. Um, I was wondering when I was going to bring up. on or...
1: Idaho and california uh,
0: so, so strangely strangely appropriate um in a weird kind of way so state number one is I would play with my friends and hang out and you know uh, have a good time, probably have a few drinks so that kind of stuff. Um, state number two is I would play super competitive with people, um, like where I'm I'm consciously trying to win. Um, and state number three is the state that very much fits what you're talking about, which is I would just sneak onto a golf course where no one knew me. Um, I would not tell any of my friends or not tell any of my golf buddies or anything like that. And I would literally just go and play golf by myself with headphones and walking the golf course. And for anyone who hasn't walked a golf course before, you're lugging a 30 to 40 pound bag on your back and walking roughly seven miles, typically in situations in which you're going up and down quite a few hills. So you're walking for a good five or six hours um, on, on a long day. On a short day, it's probably three to four. But still, um, you're contained within yourself throughout that entire time. And I will say that your description of, of getting into that flow state is really accurate in that it took a while. Um, it t- usually took me three or four holes to wind down mm-hmm. from my world and get into that place where nothing else mattered. Um, and I know that's a weird way to describe it, but all the fears... It's, you just cares, become there, right? Yeah, you're just there. You're just weirdly present in the moment. So by the time the fourth or fifth hole came around, the world was oddly quiet and my thoughts were quiet and I, I didn't hear anything anymore. Um, and yeah, there's you know,
1: nothing, no, no, nothing pulling at you. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be somewhere. You don't have to respond to something. You shouldn't be looking at something right then. What you're doing right then is exactly what you're doing.
0: Yep, and and it's funny you say the the not being tethered or pulled away by anything too. I would turn my phone off. Mm-hmm. So, and I would let people know ahead of time, hey guys, for the next five hours, I'm completely unavailable, um, and I would just exist in that moment there with. You know, the, the environment, usually it's beautiful and it's nature and I have a golf ball and a stick in my hands and I'm just trying to smack this golf ball towards that little flag 180 yards away and nothing else in the world mattered. And in those moments, um, especially recently when I've done it, I've had more revelations about my life and who I am as a person and what I really give a shit about than I've ever had sitting there and trying to do that.
1: <laughs> I, in yeah, in my walks, I've achieved more uh, clarity... From my walks than in all the years of trying to meditate.
0: Yeah, weird, huh? And yeah, I do, same, I, literally the same experience.
1: And maybe, maybe if I meditated for more than a half hour, maybe that half hour threshold is the same thing for meditation. I don't know.
0: Or, um, or maybe I just or know it's easier it's, to walk. Or maybe it's just not meditation for you. Maybe your meditation is walking. Like for example, early in my life, um, I wasn't even conscious that I was doing this, but I would actually put on my ice skates and skate for hours at a time. Um, and and I would find quiet in those moments as well. And I have a feeling that part of the reason why I felt so chaotic over the last you know five or six years is because I haven't really had a release for that.
1: Yeah, you know what? You know what else I discovered too. You know, when we talk about um, people having a how can I word this? People having a more generous worldview. Maybe that's a good way to say. It. We always say. Uh, we've, you and I have definitely said it on the show before. People should travel more. They should experience more of the world. You know, like to have more empathy, that and to understand different cultures and all those things. Right? You know what I mean? We yeah. we, we say that that fosters a a more generous worldview. I don't even think it, you need to travel to other cultures. I think if you walk in your neighborhood for an hour a day every day you'll find that place too because something weird happens. And um, maybe this would be a, one of the places where we have a different experience because I wasn't on a golf course. I mean, in a city surrounded by cars and people and stuff like that. Um, something weird happened where it was like, I'm I'm having fun using words that people are going to think I mean something different, but it was almost like I was time traveling um, in the sense that I no longer was very present or tethered to the presence of the year. Sure. I don't, sounds weird. But what I mean is I wasn't consumed with what it means to be alive in 2019. You know, I wasn't thinking about Google and I wasn't thinking about Amazon. And I wasn't thinking about Apple and I wasn't thinking about my phone and my watch and my computer and how I need to get the battery replaced on my computer. All of that stuff, that's some of the stuff that disappears. Sure. and you're and you're walking and when you're walking in the streets of a city, and if you're really not super paying attention, you know you're not looking at every car that goes past you and registering what year it was made, it could be any year because cities don't change that fast in on the street level, they don't change that fast that house was still there, that street was still there, that pavement was still there, that stoplight was still there. Cars were still going past. People were still waiting for buses. All of that stuff, people were still walking dogs like me. All of that stuff, it's it's the same. It hasn't changed at all. Sure. And it, it's like, and and you're walking through it. And when that happens, all of that, you know, that connection to the present, all of it shits away. It's gone. And you're just, all of a sudden you have this weird empathy towards everyone around you. Because the world seems really magical because it's not tied to today. It's not tied to that year. It could be any time. And so you see people and it's not like this you know, jolly, like, oh, every person I see is my best friend. But you do have a a strange sympathy when you walk past people, you want to smile at them. Why? Because you're feeling good. And, oh, here's a person on the sidewalk. And that's it. And that's one of the most beneficial. I would say walking and journaling are the two best things you could do for mental health period.
0: Yeah. Or whatever version of it exists for you. Like I, I definitely have a similar experience, um, not walking strangely, um, but sitting and, Mm -hmm. you know, like lately, for example, I've been doing, I've been working a lot remotely. Um, so I just pick random coffee shops here and there. Um, and I, I just sit, and sometimes I just sit and stare, and and not stare. That sounds creepy, but I watch people <laughs> as they walk by. You know, I, I exam, you know, I watch their lives as they walk by, and you know, I, I smile at people a lot more. I start conversations with strangers, and it, it, it makes me have this. I feel like there are two things that become inherently true um, in in both of the things that we're describing. For me, number one is that I feel omnipresent. Um, in that, I feel like whatever room that I'm in. I feel connected to all the people in that room because we're all in there for, you know, we we all have our reasons for being there, but we all chose to be there somehow. Um, And number two, I feel an openness, um, like a a giving energy, um, which I think kind of leads to a lot of what I feel about me going into politics too as well, is I I feel outwardly harmonious. I it's 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 I don't even know what the hell that actually means, but I know that it makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel a sense of 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 connectivity, but not just connectivity, but a, a need to give joy to other people.
1: Yeah, mm. I think the reason that I'm just so connected to the walking is just its movement. Oh sure. You know, there's something that happens in your body, like the blood pumping. There's a really good actually Without going into detail, I'll just give you the quote from Nietzsche that I had. Um, by the way, if you say Nietzsche and not Nietzsche, you're not doing anything wrong. Because check out, check, I just learned this. Um, Nietzsche's family was Polish, and the original family name was Nietzsche. Uh. So saying Nietzsche is probably closer to the original root of the family name than Nietzsche, which is the German pronunciation. But anyways, this quote of his, sit as little as possible do not believe any idea that was not born in the open air and a free movement in which the muscles do not also revel revel, revel, um, all prejudices emanate from the bowels. I love that one. Um, sitting still, I said it once already is the real sin against the Holy ghost. Interesting. I, I that's, is fascinating considering that he went mad. Um, near the end of his life and the only thing that was like a reprise was walking. Um but anyways, I, I I just I feel like I've been thinking about this, you know, on the walks I've been thinking about like we 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 think about our past selves, you know, like um I I, I don't know if I've told you about this before, but the way I like to think about people I don't think of us as a continuum, you know, as as a line. I don't think of Lamb as one person. I don't think of me as one person. You know, me at fifteen is a different person than me now. Sure, we we occupied the same body, but t- completely different people. Really, not even the same beliefs, right? Not even the same actions. Not even. I would put in the same situation, we would do something completely and entirely different. So we continually within us, we contain all of these different versions of ourselves. They don't go away. They're just um, under the surface. And every once in a while, they bubble up. You know, like uh, uh, when when people hang out with an old friend from high school, all of a sudden, so they start acting like they used to do in high school and laughing at the shit that they used to laugh at in high school. It's because that past version is kind of bubbling up to the surface, right? That's why, it's, you know, like for addicts, it's really dangerous to hang out with people that they used to get high with. because. They're going to slip back into the attic version of themselves instead of the sober version of themselves um, so I've been thinking a lot about that, and as I'm walking I, I the reason I was thinking about it is because sometimes you see things um real things I'm not talking about hallucinations here you see things when you're walking that remind you i don't even want, I don't even want to say they remind you because that makes you make, makes it sound like it's bringing up a memory. It's not bringing up a memory, it just sparks you to another time. You know, like you see a tree, and all of a sudden, you're like, your head is thinking about what it was like, you know, when you lived in Santa Cruz in, you know, 1989. Because something that you saw in that tree connected that neuron to one of the neurons that's used in that memory to go to the mechanical sense. You know what I'm talking about, Lamb? Does that make sense?
0: Sure, absolutely. Okay, Chad. I, Chad, I don't think I'm the same person I was two months ago. Actually, I'm fairly certain of that.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, do you understand what I what I mean about the seeing something and it takes you to that place, but the, you don't know why?
0: Oh, sure, absolutely, happens all the time.
1: You know, like a house. Like, oh, that reminds me of of my friend's my friend's house when I was 15. Even though it looks nothing like their house, but for some reason, the way you looked at it in that moment connected to that neuron.
0: Well, here's a here's a weirder one. You can look at the same. Th- you can look at the same thing and experience something different about it every time.
1: Yeah, because it's connected to different neurons, right? Absolutely. Because the neurons are all knotted over each other, Mm -hmm. um, which is why memory is unreliable, by the way, um, for the people listening. I know you know that. Um, But because of that, um, when you walk long enough, you're confronted continually with past versions of yourself because it's continually sparking. You're not thinking about one specific thing when you're walking, so your mind's going to go wherever it wants to go. Sure. And if it continually sees things that spark that all of a sudden, you know, like here, the 15 year old version of yourself bubbles up to the surface for a little bit. And then, you know, the 23 year old version of yourself bubbles up to the surface. And I had this thought that maybe, um, to get really esoteric here, maybe from a psychological point of view, the whole reason that we are unhappy is because we are broken into pieces. And there's all these different versions of ourselves and we hide them away because um, going back to what we were saying about politics, maybe we did things that when we were 15 that we're not proud of or, or we were just dorky and it totally embarrasses us. And so we don't like to think about it. And so maybe the reason that things like journaling and walking or sitting or meditating are powerful and important experiences is because they force us to confront those things. Um, They forced us to get rid of the back pain and face the, the anger that we're repressing because we're trying continually to unite ourselves that all the disparate pieces and all the past versions of ourselves, that what we're really looking for from a psychological point of view is a way to thread them all together and bring them all into one. What do you think about that?
0: And maybe my version of regretting with kindness and objectivity is exactly what that is. Yeah, maybe. You know maybe maybe I'm just describing the same thing a different way because I feel like what you're describing is the feeling that I get after looking at regret in, in, through the lens of what I'm talking about, which is to see the versions of yourself in, yourself in, in both good and bad, and to accept them for what they were and to, to be okay with that person. You know, yes. even if it's something that you you didn't like, or something that you did to someone that you 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 regret, or whatever it may be, it was the, the person you were in that moment. It's, it's it's okay that you were that person.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, as long as you regret that, as long as you are embarrassed of something um, from the past, as long as you are you know th- th- those emotions, as long as you're feeling those things, that past version of yourself that did those things, or that was involved in those things, or that felt those things they're ostracized yeah, from your, your center of your being, right? If we're going to use it as like a map thing, they're on the outside. They're pushed out like, a, like a, a kid that's ridiculed and kicked out of, you know, like they're not allowed to play with the other kids. So until you can learn to bring that person back in to the fold or back into the pack or back into the tribe of yourself, you're always going to feel broken. Because you are,
0: yeah. Wow. Well, because they're because they're. I mean, imagine that from a, a tangible standpoint. Imagine if you lived in a house with twenty other people and you hated five of them.
1: Yeah, or you you didn't talk to ten of
0: them. Yeah, that would be incredibly uncomfortable and just, really awkward.
1: Yeah, you told them that they had to be in the room and they couldn't come out when you were there.
0: Yep, and that is exactly and that's exactly what not being okay with certain versions of yourself leads you to. Yes. And I feel like and I feel like my my version of what I'm going through now is trying to come to terms with every version of that. Right. And and, and the the better the, the the more comfortable I am with each version, the better I feel.
1: <laughs> and that's that's what I think is so amazing about the walking is because it's a way to to do that without having to do any work because it it comes to you. Sure, um, because you, that isolation. You know, we talked about boredom and stuff like that before, and it's essentially the same thing. Is like when you're not constantly having stimulus come at you, your mind goes into a different place, and it's a natural place. It's the place we call the default network. Mm-hmm. Ah, the
0: default you, network. I love the default network. Carry on.
1: When you slip into, and we talked about the default network being social, and maybe that's why I have to manifest. You know these. Uh, Manifest is my word this week, by the way. (laughs) Maybe that's why I have to embody the idea of past versions of myself as different people. Because I'm trying to um, assimilate it in a social way. I'm using the social part of my brain. So I, I feel like I have to imagine it socially like a group of people.
0: Well, there's nothing wrong with looking inward with the default network as much as you're looking outward. I feel like you're you're literally shaking hands with the the people you used to be.
1: Yeah, and I think it's possible that maybe the whole purpose of the default network is actually to look inwards. That you look outwards as a way of looking inwards. You know, we look to other people. Why do we? Why do we? Why are we attracted to other people? And I don't mean sexually. I mean like interested in them as human beings. Um, Because either they remind us of something of ourselves that we like or something that we've lost or something that we want to have that we feel we're lacking. Sure. You know, like if you're a quiet person, you probably like to be around... Sometimes you probably like to be around somebody that's more assertive. Sure. Because uh, like if you're shy, I shouldn't say quiet, but if you're shy, um, when you go into public and you go to a restaurant, you probably like to be with somebody that's a little more assertive. Maybe... You know, the degree of that is up to each individual person. But because maybe they can do things that you're not comfortable doing. They'll do it for you. Um, You're looking for that in yourself. And being around them makes you feel more assertive because you see it in action.
0: You know, if, you, uh, if, if you take it positively, I have a very tangible example of how that can be done negatively.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's why the degree is really important. You oh, know,
0: absolutely. The degree people... of severity is huge in that.
1: Yeah, if you're shy, you're probably not going to want to hang around with Donald Trump. Um, He's really extroverted and obnoxious. um, And that would probably be too much for you. But maybe somebody who's just a little bit more assertive than you. You know, like somebody that's not afraid to talk to a stranger when you are. Sure. I don't remember what I was reading. Something I was reading the other day, and they were talking about this idea of... um, we we look for what we're lacking i think it was about society that societies look for what was that i'm gonna look and see if i have it in my notes um wow that's so weird I, it just i wasn't even thinking about that but it can completely connected to that
0: hey by the way i haven't mentioned it this episode yet um but since i have a propensity to forget Um, I'm going to mention it, which is, um, this is now my favorite episode that we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Like this one, this one feels weirdly more profound in in a very, and and it's funny because I I have a feeling we've probably talked about something like this in the past before, but for some reason, this time around feels a lot more profound.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I think that we'd be doing something wrong if we didn't feel like we were getting more profound each time, even if the audience doesn't agree. Sure. Because, I mean, isn't that what thought is about, is trying to get somewhere? If we don't feel like we're getting somewhere, then what the hell's the point? Yeah, good point. Um, anyways, I guess that's a good time to transition into challenges.
0: Oh, man. This is the first week where I haven't really thought of one ahead of time.
1: Uh, I have one, but I thought oh, wow.
0: last time. We flipped it. Nice. What do you um, got?
1: Do you remember what yours was?
0: Shit, I don't.
1: I have it. Don't worry, I got you covered. Create. Oh, that's mine. Um, find and <gasps> find and foster a relationship with a new creative partner.
0: Yep, done that. Actually, mm. I actually did three of those. You did it three
1: times, or you did it with three different people? This three is different
0: people. <laughs> three different people entirely.
1: You slut! You creative slut!
0: I am a creative slut. I, I am. Oh, I'm slut shaming you. I'm sorry.
1: You, you creatively promiscuous person?
0: No, I am entirely okay with being a slut. <laughs> I, I, see, I see zero shame in that word on every level.
1: Mm. My, creative, my challenge was to make something new for Patreon every day. I did not do that. Um, as there's, I don't really want to go into details, but had another health scare with the dog and then I was sick for like two days. So didn't work out. But I have been consistently putting things up on Patreon. Um, I just put up a little short. I've been trying to convince myself um, out of when you and I have talked about this before. Is that we convince ourselves that when we put things online, that they have to be profound, or they have to be long, or they have to be, you know what I mean. We we, we avoid the simple things, right? Sure. Um, you know, like with with blogs. I was telling you, I'm like, just write a paragraph every day. You know, don't make it profound. Don't don't worry about it. Just write something. Um, so I've been trying to take that into Patreon. Um, I've only achieved it once. But I took a picture of something and then I wrote it like a paragraph. I'm like, that's it. That's my little journal for the day. Um, but uh, as, as I said in the Tom episode, which for me was just a few days ago, um, I've put up about, I think, half of the my old solo show, what I want to talk about episodes. I'll finish putting up the rest of those. Then I'm going to put up the technical ramblings. Um, we're going to keep putting stuff there but that's that was my challenge i failed but guess what that's an ongoing challenge for me because i'm going to continually be working on patreon because i really want you guys to go over there and become patrons and if you're listening to this right now and you haven't done it yet um, please uh, i have literally everything is available for whatever tier you pick so if you just want to show support but you don't have a lot of money pick the $1 tier i just need patrons i just want people to see other patrons on there it's not i'm not trying to get rich here i just want some support so that we can build something because you know what i really want lamb i I don't know if i've expressed this to you you know what my pie in the sky dream is no that we have a, a physical studio huh that we could rent a space and have a physical studio so that when we record our episodes, we record them face to face, you and me and Tom. And when we have guests in, they have a place to come and we can give them coffee and we can hang out with them. And then more than two of us could talk to them, uh, more than one of us can talk to them. That's my pie in the sky dream. And that's all going to come from Patreon. That's where I want it to come from. Sure. Anyways, my little rant.
0: You got a challenge for this week? Yeah.
1: If you... I do. Um, real quick, though. If you guys are listening and overcast, which a good percentage of you are, you don't even have to go to patreon.com forward slash productions. Just look at the bottom of the episode and where the star is normally. You'll see a circle with a dollar sign in it. If you click that, it'll take you to the Patreon page.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah. Marco built it in as long as I put in as uh, between Marco and what uh, Ben uh, Ben uh, Dan Benjamin has built with Fireside. They work together and then it automatically does that for me. So you guys can always click on that. It just means it's harder to star episodes. Um, But anyways. Huh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so my challenge for the week, and I mentioned it before, is I'm going to take myself on an artist date. And what's interesting is I think that um, my walks in some way almost count as this, but I'm going to not let my walks count. Since the walks have now become a regular and integral part of my day, I'm going to find something extra. And to to reiterate, what the artist date was, it's something from Julia Cameron's Artist Way, and she says, you know, like uh, you have to take yourself out, like you're taking yourself on a date, but you're going to take yourself to something that feeds the artist inside of you. So, if you're a painter, maybe it would be taking yourself to an art gallery and walking around and looking at the paintings. Or maybe it would be taking yourself to the movies um, to see an art house film. Whatever feeds your artist inside. So I'm going to do that this week. Which requires me going somewhere.
0: Yes, you're going to leave the house. I love it.
1: Well, I leave the house every day. I just don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a yo-yo. Hey, Lam, I'm going to ask you this one more time. Nope. Okay. Oxen free deleted. Nope. I'm not gonna ask again.
0: Well, it's, it's, it, it's boring. The next time the next time you hear about it, it will be me telling you. Um, yeah. I I actually have a fun challenge too for myself, which is gonna be a weird one. Um I've gotta pick someone in my life that I completely take for granted and show them every single day for the next week how much I appreciate them.
1: Appreciate Okay.
0: So live oh. in live in gratitude, essentially.
1: I like it. I like it. Um, but, but anything else we should talk about while we're here? Anything else you want to say? Anything you want the people to uh know? The peoples?
0: I'm I'm really excited um with the addition of Tom. I feel like I, I thought I'd be bummed out a little bit um with you having another um creative partner on this show, but now it feels like the floodgates have opened and we should just try to incorporate as many other people that are Headed in the same direction as possible and open this thing up to the world. Yeah, it's, it's
1: one 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 more person changes things in a in a very interesting way. Um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a really fun journey to just see how um, those episodes develop because you know, like I said, the, they don't have a pace yet. They don't have a we have our way of doing these episodes, and these episodes are very different than what's gonna happen there. Like uh, that, Tom and I don't do challenges. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's just you and me. Yeah, Um, I'm not trying to take the 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 form that you and I have created and put him into that. I'm going to let whatever develops between him and I develop on its own, so that it's a unique and different thing. Who knows? Maybe we'll. So far, him and I burp together now. So that's that's something that we do together. I didn't burp in this episode once, by the way.
0: Yeah, that's weird. I I, was actually kind of waiting for it.
1: I guess because I did so many on the Tom one. Um, Well, Tom and I did. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, I don't know. It's just going to be really fun. I'm excited about it. Yep. So, everybody out there, I hope you're doing well. Um, Lamb is back. And as you can tell, his voice works again. And uh, we're going to be back in a week. So, what I think you guys should do, we haven't done this in a little while. So, I'm going to put out a challenge to the audience. I want you guys to go for a walk for an hour and don't put headphones in literally go for a walk if you have a dog take that poor little guy or girl for a walk get them that exercise this guy we went for that two hour walk he could have kept going he was just raring to go sure they love it and your body will love it too so will your mind Ah, uh, anything else lamb
0: um, I don't usually say this on the episode, but um, thank you for everyone who's listening. Um, you have a lot of choices in how you can spend your time, and any time you spend with us is is greatly appreciated from from myself, and I'm sure from Chad as well. Absolutely.
1: Okay, we we love y'all. Bye, bye, babies. Bye. <laughs>